Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Hey everyone, welcome back to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have Matt Fox on the call today, and we're going to be talking about resistance, and we're going to be talking about sales. And to give you some background of why this is going to be an interesting talk, Matt Fox is the founder of Friction Free Sales, the host of Fail to Learn podcast, and the author of Friction Free Sales and Marketing. And he's been studying for the last 20 plus years strategies and skills in persuasion in neurolinguistic programming, which I'm a big fan of, uh, <laughs> hypnosis, a thing I've not done, but super fascinated by, direct marketing, social behavioral economics, and more. So he's got some really keen insights into kind of what makes a person tick, what makes a customer tick, and how you and I can use that in our businesses. So Matt, first and foremost, thank you for being on In the Trenches. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Looking awesome. forward to this. Yeah. And, and so I want to kick off, we were just offline talking about this. We'll start with this, and then I know we'll take this a few different directions, but was the conversation you had about somebody you were working with, and you gave the advice and strategy to, to say, hey, make this change, and they went from converting basically at about nothing, maybe 0%, to something like 27%. Can you tell me that story? Yeah, well, it was a, <laughs> it's kind of funny. The, it was a very simple, I mean, it wasn't a lot. It was basically what he's doing, he's switching shopping carts. He was testing with one product, which is, you know, for those of you that operate online, you don't want to make big changes right away. He's doing a smart way. He's, he's figured he'd throw one product on this new cart, uh, send out an email with a, with an offer for it and see how the cart worked and, and make sure all the, you know, the automations and, and other little things that run around in the background, everything worked right before he, uh, started migrating over all the other products. So he, he set up the cart, gets everything going sends an email out and he sends me a message saying no sales what's going on mm. and and asked me to look at it and see what was going on and and two quick changes there was video that was on there which is talking about the guarantee that was on the actual checkout page which is not a stupid thing let's let's put it that way it's not a bad thing to do because it helps reinforce the guarantee they have the money back guarantee the the that they honor everything that they do but to me it was a long video uh but mm. something you know it could just be simple little icon that says 100% money back guarantee or whatever you want to put on your cart that would have been simpler so i told him to take off the video and I had a, a bump offer so after you read the sales page and clicked over to the shopping cart there was the you know the purchase offer and then there was what's called a bump offer which is just a small or, or, let me let me step back. A bump offer should be a small, easy to explain offer that they can just little check a little box and go. You know what? That makes sense. I should probably add this on. So he had the the, the bump offer, which was about the same price as the original offer. So it was. I mean, it's about like a hundred dollar item, more like a hundred dollars. So it wasn't a huge bump, but it was still a bump offer. And I just told him, I go first off. There's not enough words on there to explain what the bump offer is. So take that off. Can you make up sell? as opposed to the bump and remove the video. And uh, he did that. And the next day, he said 20%, I believe is what the number was. I'd have to go check my messages here. But I believe it was, it was 20% conversions for people that actually landed on that shopping cart, converted into customers. And then earlier this morning, he had sent me a little message. He said now he's at 
So, I mean, it's just two little things that you would normally think, hey, we had a little bump offer. That's not, not going to make a big difference, but that was a huge deal. And I don't know which one of those made a difference. I don't know if either one of them made a difference, but I mean, it's a huge, it's, you know, it's their, their friction points. That's what I, that's why I call this thing friction-free sales is because I like to look at friction points of what's stopping, what are the hurdles? What are the things that stop somebody from buying? We've all been there. Yeah. Okay. So let's apply this to a broader context then a little bit. I mean, uh, of course, there's so many variables. So it's like really tough to draw inferences in, in many cases, but it sounds like to, uh, on this one, it's like you said, kind of in a general rule, well, reduce friction. Okay. That's for sure. Like I, I that's a, Duh. right, right. A hundred percent. But you know, we don't know what that friction is a lot of times. And I think people are, who are selling these kind of things, typically, I, I know I do it myself. I'm going to be my own, the friction I'm creating for the customer or client to finish that purchase. And so one of those things, I, I think that's interesting. So actually, was it removing the bump offer? That's what you guys did? And why, w- why would the bump offer be friction point? It related to the initial offer. And I don't want to, I don't want to give details into what it is because I, 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 haven't really discussed, you know, that it's okay to talk about this. Um, but the the bump offer was an extra, hmm, I'm trying to figure out the ways to say this without exposing anything. Uh, but it was an extra offer that, that it did, it added to the initial purchase. And uh, it added some extra items to the initial purchase that could benefit somebody, but there wasn't enough, you know, you need sales copy to sell something. Or you need, you know, if you're a salesperson face to face, you need to be able to talk and ask the person questions and be able to present your offer. And with this bump offer, I don't think he had enough verbiage. There wasn't enough. There wasn't enough to sell it. And so I think what happened is, and at least when I looked at it, and and knowing a little bit about the market, I looked at it and went immediately. This is confusing people. I have a feeling what's what's happening is that they're looking at that first offer and they're looking at that bump and going. If this doesn't include that, then I'm going to have problems implementing what I'm getting in the initial product. It, it wasn't that the initial product had any shortcomings in it. It's just this bad extra things that were targeted for specific uh, uses. Was that was that vague enough? Was that too vague? <laughs> no, I think that's that's fine. I think it's uh, the 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 thing I come away with from that is if you're going to do a bump offer, because I've actually heard bumpers typically can be can be really useful, but it's got to be consistent and coherent. I, it, to me, what I'm, I'm hearing underneath that is it just would take somebody more like brain power to process whatever that bump offer was, where that would reduce sales because it's like, oh, it's Correct. just another thing you got to think of, right? And that, of course, the, the more thinking that goes into it, the more time it takes to figure out, is this something I want or can I use this? The less likely the sale goes through, um, at least in some contexts. I, th- I think if it was a $20 item compared to, because the first product was $97, I believe. Mm-hmm. And if it was like a $20 item where it was kind of a no, I don't want to say a no brainer, but it wasn't as, you know, didn't require as much of a financial commitment because it was, a, it was another 97 or $87 bump offer is what the bump offer. So basically it was going to double the price of the purchase. And I think what happened was that just raised the resistance at that point. It was made them question Again, my interpretation, because I'm just looking at it from from an outside standpoint here, but I think what it is is that there wasn't a copy to sell the, I'm going to say it's $87 for the bump offer, just to use round numbers here, or not so round numbers. Uh, but I'm going to say there wasn't enough copy selling it to be able to place an $87 value on it. Actually, I'll give a little, I'll give a little story. One of my old sales managers when I was selling a while back was, was talking about uh, a time when he went out to go make this sale. And uh, he goes out and, and had been talking with this family for a while for this sale. It's like a $3,000 sale. 
and after months of talking with his family about it, they say they're ready to do it. He goes out. 15 minutes later, he's walking out of the house empty-handed. Goes back to a sales manager, and he tells the sales manager about it. And the sales manager goes, well, let's talk about this. And uh, he tells him what happened. And he said the sales manager starts laughing at him. He goes, he goes you're asking for $3,000. He goes, you've got to give at least a ten dollars to $12,000 presentation to get a $3,000 check. And, and, and I would say that's the, exa- that's the exact same scenario that was going on here with the bump offer is he's asking for $87, but he's given like a $50 presentation for it because that's how much copy was there to sell it. Interesting. Now, does that directly correlate then to like length, for example? Is that, is that typically a correlation that you find? I'm just curious on that, that piece. That was just kind of, I know that's a very small piece of what you just said. And we'll come back to the broader, I think, learning lesson You mean there. Length, length of copy? Yeah. That was the problem is that there wasn't enough space allowed for it. So yeah, he would have required to have more copy there to sell that. Definitely. Got it. Definitely. Interesting. So that's, that's, that's interesting because so you, I, I, lo- I mean, I kind of lo- love that. Concept. I mean, it's a nice rule of thumb that you can kind of live by and say, well, if you want to sell uh, this for X, you know, the, the value, you have to give a presentation that's 3X this, that's worth three times the value or something like that. Yeah. They have, they have to feel like they're getting three times that amount that they're going to fork over to you. That's interesting. And that's as true for kind of a presentation, like on a call, uh, as it is for sales copy is what you're saying, right? Definitely. Definitely. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be willing to part with their money if they don't feel like they're getting more for it. So in that re- regard, it's like, you know, bring that down to earth for me. How do I take that and say, okay, I, I have this, maybe I have a book, right? Book is called Collaborate. It's a book I have, right? And I have a sales page for it and I have some content for it and, you know, it's whatever. It's, it's, it's decent. You know, if the book is like, say I sell it for, or let's just say any book is like 10 bucks or something. So this one in particular is like 30 bucks. I think I sell it for it's $30. Okay. So I want to create, you know, a hundred dollars worth of value on that, that page. What gets me to that? What gets me to that level of value? Like what has to happen on that page or in that, the content that you create, whether it's a presentation or whether it's a sales page? That's a good question. <clears throat> you know, that I'm sitting here wincing going, you know, that's kind of hard to give a, a like a concrete specific definition. That's Probably unfair. Work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a hard one to just quantify and say, this is going mm-hmm. to do it because if you're sending an email to a list that you have a relationship, yep. the amount of copy that you have on that page is going to need to be less. Yep. Um, if you are sending cold traffic to it, you're going to have to explain your credibility, your believability. Um, and I think believability is more important than credibility. And most times, you know, you're going to have a lot more to do with cold traffic than you would with traffic who knows who you are. They trust you. They like you. And they already know that you are an expert in the area that you're trying to sell stuff in. So, I mean, it is hard to, you know, and of course, what you think is worth a hundred bucks is all of a lot different than what I think is worth a hundred bucks. Right. And I hope I'm, I'm okay to say hello. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm totally. not allowed to swear. <laughs> no, that's what we do here. That's totally fine. No, that's great. Sometimes I forget the words that come flying out of my mouth. They're not child friendly. No, no worries. This is, I don't, I don't think we're, I don't think there are many children listening to this. And, and if, if they are, they're grown up quick. So, so there you go. And well, so, so take me through this. Like, I'm curious about this because I, I'm wondering like, you know, how do I create a valuable presentation though? Like that's what I'm, I'm curious if there's some underlying themes or ideas that need to be present. And whether that's for a sales page or presentation or, or however you're presenting a product. So I definitely understand the context with which like the person would come to the offer, so to speak, right? So like it's a referral. Like, okay, that's way easier. It's much easier to sell somebody who's a referral from, you know, a friend or, or past client that you have because of course, right, it's it's a warmer engagement 
And so that's great. But especially when we're talking about cold traffic or anything like that, or sale pages or presentations, like what are the elements that it takes? Like, what are there any concrete elements that have to be considered when you think about like, you know, creating a sales page that's actually of value? Does that make sense? Because I think the intro, the, the idea of like, you want to give a presentation that's like, you know, worth 12,000 or something like that. Like, that's really fascinating to me. But what about the presentation would produce that kind of value for somebody? Is it like, it doesn't have to be like super detailed? Does it have to be uh, customized? And maybe at a certain level, that's the case, right? Depending on what the, the offer is. But I'm just curious if you can dig deeper into this. Well, <laughs> it's funny is I, I hate the term presentation in, in sales vernacular right. because I don't think... And that's the problem, I think, in, in the sales industry is that most people picture the uh, uh, the fast-talking, <laughs> kind of like the politician, you know, just up there pitching mm-hmm. his thing and ignoring what anybody else wants. They just want to get you to buy, 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 you know, the car salesman type mentality or right. type of type of sales pitch. Um, because I think a presentation is is identifying what the person wants, asking questions, getting into the problem so that, that you can... Uh, and I forget who the copywriter was that said this or who it was that ever said this, but if you can, def- if you can describe the problem better than the customer, they have nothing, they not, not buy from you. You know, that, that is just so compelling if you can describe the problem better than them. So I, I think, I mean, the elements for a good sales page to me is, you know, the, the good old fashioned attention, interest, desire, action, AIDA. So you got to get their attention. Uh, it could be a shock value, something to draw them in to read it. You got to get their interest. So you have to be able to describe the problem. If you are talking to me about, I don't know, badminton, there's no interest. I mean, I'd click right off. Um, but if you talk to me about, you know, persuasion or psychological stuff, then, then yeah, I have some sort of fascination and interest in that. Uh, then building up the desire, uh, that's, defining the problem in my opinion how how you how you define the problem and then action you got to have a compelling offer and now here well, well let me step back for a second because one of the things like in my book friction free sales and marketing what i like to talk about are the three types of psychological resistance they're not really in any order but you have re- uh, reactance which is resistance to the sales process and so that would be the used car salesman so like if i just go buy a car <laughs> have you ever bought a car from a, a dealership or from a car salesman Gosh, it was a long time ago. I'm actually thinking about buying a car now and already not enjoying the process. <laughs> yeah. That's the typical answer. It's like they put it off for as long as they can because they know yep. it, you just feel like you got to take a bath when you're done because it's just yep. such a nasty, stinky process. <laughs> yep. Oh, it's it's awful. So that's the process. Or uh, if, you've ever, you know, if you've ever been to some, like, oh, I'm trying to think of where it was, but I, I, I remember... This was, I don't know, 10 something years ago, probably one of the internet marketers was talking about how he had like five upsells, but each upsell had a video that was 15 to 30 minutes long. And I'm going, are you kidding? I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Somebody's got to sit there for like two hours to watch all the videos to get through all these upsells. That's ridiculous. So that's the process. What's the process? So that was like w- with his problem with the uh, bump offer, you know, that was part of the process that, that automatically created a friction point right there in the process. Um, the second one would be skepticism, which is resistance to to the offer itself. Okay. And so that's the believability. You got to be believable. And the most common way that uh, you see online uh, or pretty much anywhere, probably the, the easiest thing that you can do is testimonials. Those are the things that make you believable. And then the last one is inertia, which is simply resistance to change. You know, we're fat, dumb, and happy where, you know, you're content where you are. And if I wanted to try to sell you to use 
my favorite autoresponder because you've got your favorite autoresponder. You're just going to kind of sit there and go, you know, I'm happy with it. I don't have to go through change and yada, yada, yada. Does that make sense? So those are the yeah. three types of resistance. And, and if you think about those, whenever you're lining up your sales process, uh, you know, on top of creating interest and finding out the problem and those types of things, that will go a long way for you. So it's resistance to sales process, it's skepticism and inertia. And I like that in the skepticism one, you said you gave us some solutions on how to kind of get over that resistance to the offer itself. Testimonials being a very simple one. Um, others, like any kind of social proof, you know, there's yeah. yeah, any kind of anything like that. I definitely get that. Can you give some ideas on how do we overcome inertia? That's probably, <laughs> I was joking, that's the most difficult one to deal with. Right. As we were talking about beforehand, you know, email. I'm a big fan of emailing as often as possible because you hit the points often enough. If you hit the pain problems often enough, you slowly, you know, open up their mind and slowly get somebody to moving. You know, we're not going to convert everybody every time, no matter how many book titles you see that say how to sell everyone every time. But you can help try to I don't want to say chisel away, but you can kind of start to remove the little blocks that are in front of a lot of the people out there. Um, and since we're dealing with online marketers, email is the easiest way. Consistent email. Um, how often do you email your lists? I mean, I'm terrible at it right now and totally inconsistent. So <laughs> this is, that's, you know, I was trying to do it once a week, but now I'm like to, you know, every other week if I'm, if I'm lucky right now, but with a internal desire to be more consistent and to, to produce more quality content that I can share more often. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just it. You've got, I would say at least once a week I've, I've shoot for daily, but it, it doesn't happen daily just because of, like you said, life, you know, things happen. Um, I probably could make it daily if it was more of a conviction for me, but e emailing as much as possible, as often as possible. And not just not pitches. I'm not talking about like, you know, we have these, uh, these big launch launches that go on and everybody's sending out pitches with the same type of stuff. I'm talking about just emails and then, uh, you know, what happened today and, and how it, you, you can relate anything back to uh, Well, you interviewed Ben Settle, you know, he's, he's the master of all this stuff. And, and I subscribe to a lot of his philosophy, not, not all of his political and, and other things that he likes to talk about, but, uh, uh, you know, his philosophy on email and, and the marketing style and everything like that is, is critical. When I had an insurance agency, I had two insurance agencies. Um, I've sold those about seven years ago. And uh, we used to do monthly newsletters, just print newsletters. And we would talk about IRAs or retirement planning and nothing specific, no product specific. We weren't mentioning any products. And there would also be other stupid little articles. And, and you know, I'm being really blunt here because they were, they were kind of like stupid little articles that it's like, oh, I needed space to fill. So the mouse that was in the office was writing about how busy Matt was today and how Jenny was writing up policies for so-and-so because they saved them so much money on their car insurance or something like that, right? Um, so those were the types of articles that were in there. The first year, we had very little volume off of it. But the second year, we had rolled over, it was almost, it was about a million and a half, it was a little over a million and a half in 401k rollovers into IRAs, directly attributable to the newsletter. People calling up saying, you know, I'm quitting my job. And I, saw, I remember in the newsletter last month or two months ago, whatever it was, that I saw you guys do something with that. Can you help me with that? You can't be there all the time. Customer loyalty is dead uh, or isn't dead because it never existed. You've got to be there when they actually need the product. 
And, and that's how email works. If you're emailing every day, when they have that need, then they'll, then they'll call you. Okay. So I have a challenge with this because, and I talked to Ben about this. It's, I, I'm compelled by this idea of the daily email. There's something <laughs> compelling about it. There's something like, I think there's something about, I guess, the aspect of, well, if I write daily, writing itself will become easier. My thoughts will become more clear. So it's a very selfish desire in that regard. But yeah. then also, I guess, hypothetically, like by becoming a better writer, by getting more clarity of thought, by creating more consistently, I'm more likely to improve the lives of the people who are reading if I consistently get better and better. And we'll say, we'll start with the assumption too, that maybe I'm pretty good at writing or that, that my stuff is valuable for my audience. I have a trouble thinking about doing that with my list right now. And it's like, ah, oh, man, you know, am I just going to burn through the list? Like, and I know that's a weird thing because like, I, I see the argument already and I'm okay with people like leaving my list, uh, you know, unsubscribing, saying sayonara, Tom, especially, like it doesn't bother me at all. Like I totally get that. Like, people go through. I'm just wondering if, if the pros outweigh the potential cons of that. Like if you can give me some insights into maybe your experience with this, obviously Ben, for sure. Like that's his thing. I get it. And I, and you know, you look at Seth Godin, I'm like, oh, great example. This dude just writes every day and has a really short, really interesting things to say. And I wonder like, well, I'm no Seth Godin. I'm no Ben Settle, you know, and I'm no Matt Fox. I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I know you're doing it, but maybe you can give me play devil's advocate here. Like challenge me on this. Like what's, why should I be doing daily email? And, and that's a challenge to anybody who's listening to who does email marketing. Like why should they be doing daily email? I, I kind of get it, but I want you to elaborate on it. The one nice thing about doing a daily is it's the habit. It's the daily daily habit. Yep. And, and, uh, if any of the books on habits, or if you've heard, listen to anybody on a podcast about, uh, the habits, and I can't remember name, any of the names of the books or anything that's out there, but just the daily habit of it is probably the biggest thing that <laughs> you'll stop saying to yourself, I'm not Seth Godin. I'm not Ben Settle. You know, you are you, and that's fine. I don't really care if I'm, if somebody compares me to Ben Settle or a Seth Godin, because I'm not them. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to be them. Um, I'm me and I've got my own way of doing things. If it resonates with some people, that's fine. If it doesn't, that's fine too. I always think it's funny. You know, I've had a few people unsubscribe. And it's like, I get too many emails and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, is it, that's fine if you unsubscribe. I don't care. That's fine. But did you really have to reply and tell me that you're getting too many emails? Is it really that, like, is your life that insanely boring that you've got to reply and tell me you're getting too Or they feel so guilty about it, right? Well, that could be. That could be too. But it's like, just unsubscribe. I mean, how hard is it, by the way, to hit the delete button every time? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, get, I get it. That I get, isn't a I, lot of effort. I understand both sides of that, man, because I actually had to go through like a slew of unsubscribes recently just because I was like, man, I'm getting, I've been just five minutes a day just clearing out newsletters I don't read anymore. And so in that context, like... I've done that too. I've done right. that too recently. So, so I guess that's the big thing. But did you reply to anybody and say, you're sending me too much? No. I mean, literally <laughs> the only time I replied was like, hey man, I'm unsubscribed from this email address, but I want to resubscribe with this email address. Like that was on a couple of occasions or something like that, which is totally different, right? But no, if I'm just, I'm just like done with something, I'm, I'm unsubscribed. Like it is what it is, right? But would this be true? Would you say this is maybe true or you can, you know, it, uh, obviously lots of variables here and lots of outliers, I'm sure. But as a rule of thumb, would it make sense that if people are reading your weekly newsletter, a monthly newsletter, and you get pretty good engagement with it, that it'll be safe to say that those same people would value something on a more consistent basis? Is that like as a general thought, something that oh, you yeah. found to be true? Well, it has to be entertaining. I think ultimately it has to be entertaining. And and I'm sure Ben said the same thing. I mean, it has to be, you have to do something that is, uh, write something that is worth reading. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, you can, 
like I said, I ascribe to the same philosophy that Ben does. You know, you put your link at the end, you know, you make your little offer at the end. If people buy, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine too. But you provided something that was at least some sort of entertainment value to them. I mean, the stuff that I write, while most of it is sales and marketing and, and persuasion and relevant to that realm, I'm tying in my kid's karate lesson that the, well, that's one that's on the top of my mind that's in my my to-do type up here. Uh, but you know, I'm tying in the karate lesson that the instructor was giving my kids and, and relating that back to it. it. Doesn't It's directly a marketing or sales thing, but it's something that hopefully will shed a, a, a different perspective on the topic. And then you become a Tom Marcus as opposed to, a, who are we talking about? Seth, Seth Godin Light. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. Gosh, I, I need to cross a, f- a few other bridges first before I get there. Um, and, and I think, I don't know if I was talking to Ben about this or somebody else, but it was like, and tell me if you recommend this, like just kind of increasing the, um, the rhythm with which you, you publish. So if you're doing, in my case, every other week right now, basically, I could probably get to a consistent weekly schedule. And then maybe I start doing like two or three times a week and just sticking to that and working. Do you feel like that's, or do you think it's okay to just go straight to the leap of I'm going daily? Like if I, cause that's another thing I wouldn't want this to be like a, you know, a shock and awe type thing for the people who are used to reading me. Right. And it'd be like totally out of the blue. Cause I haven't conditioned them to expect emails, right? Like you have and, and like Ben and what are your thoughts on that? The way that I started off is I, my first email was 80%. That was the subject line, 80%. And I, I, I was talking about my, which I'm sh- sure keeps a lot of people from writing on a regular basis, is that they want it to be perfect. They're afraid of being grammatically incorrect or getting criticism or anything along those lines. And so the title was 80%. You know, 80% is good enough. Um, and so my my email to them was 80%. That's my goal. I I... I strive to be perfect, but I'm going to have to start settling for 80%. I want to email on a regular basis, daily basis. Um, if you don't want to stick around, you know, there's an unsubscribe link here, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to hit 80%, a hundred percent of the time. That's awesome. I love that's it. That's kind of, that's kind of just the way I went about it. That's interesting. Yeah. People come and go. I mean, it happens, yeah. you know, you're going to have people that come and go, but that's fine. The ones that stick around are the ones that reply to your emails and the ones that, become loyal customers and, and refer you to other people. And that's what you want. Definitely. I, okay. I like this. And I know we went down that rabbit hole again, but obviously then there's some, <laughs> some subconscious draw I have to this idea of daily email. So whoever's listening to this and on the newsletter as well, you know, get ready. Um, okay. But let, segue, me, let me challenge your manhood. Man up. That's right. <laughs> you can do it. I mean, stop wussing out. <laughs> I know, but like I'm, Just I well, no, it's, it's, it's true though. Right. It's, it's exactly it because I'm the kind of person I feel like I'm an awful writer I, I, because I'm like, I, I write and then it takes me so long to produce something that I feel even remotely like okay with. And then like I send it, I'm like, oh man, I, I should have rewritten it these hundred different ways. And I know I only get over that through constant and consistent writing, you know, and it's one of those things that it's interesting. So I, I'm very compelled by this. I definitely want to dig into it. I don't know when it's going to happen. I got to get some other things squared away in my business first <laughs> for, you know, get some proper autoresponder set up, you know, the basics just because I've been so stagnant with, with my website, TomMorkis.com, but that's about to change. So there's some big things happening. There's big, big things for those who are listening. Well, I'll also tell you too, once you get started, you don't have to, I mean, I'm not going to say that you can quit, but for a couple months last year, I was completely out of it. My daughter got sick and I was out for a while and it just, you know, I was kind of in a little funk personally and didn't want to even 
there was a lot of things that I wasn't doing. And so it was just a matter. And then it was like, okay, I got to get back to this and start it again up at the beginning of the year. Things happen. Yep. And I like it though, because it comes back to that idea of inertia, right? And it's like, I think that's the simplest thing somebody can do based on what you're telling me. And I, it makes sense to me. It's like, you know, I, I think actually, I didn't say this when you're talking, but I just remembered it. Like anytime Seth Godin comes out with like an offer, I'm, I'll usually buy it like most of the time. And it's like a, a sentence or two. Like, oh, I just came out with a new book. It's like, buy. Or like, oh, I'm running this like, you know, in-person event, blah, 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 like three sentences about it. Okay, bye. And it's interesting. Like it only, that could only happen on, on my end as the reader or somebody who's like, trust this guy who listens and, and, and appreciates what he's writing. And then when he does have an offer, I, I don't need to be sold on it. Like 99% of the Like I, I can, I can very quickly just look at it and say, is it for me or not? You know? And yeah. it's like, I don't need to be persuaded. Like, I don't think I'm really on the fence with most Seth Godin offers as an example, right? Which is an interesting thought because that is like the biggest challenge I run into when I'm working on these very large marketing campaigns and sales campaigns for, for our, the clients I work with. And that's one of the things I always tell them. I'm like, we want to focus on the person who's on the fence because that person's considering, deeply considering. Like the person who's bought, we're good to go. The person who's going to buy, like inevitably based on the sequence of events put before them and in front of them and the path, we, we the journey we set them on, there's going to be people who will buy. I just know they will because they, they are already convinced. And we don't also we also don't care about the people who won't buy and aren't interested in our whatever, right? I just I don't 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 care about them from a marketing and conversation standpoint, right? It doesn't. I I love them as human beings, but I don't in the context of marketing. I don't care about them, but I do deeply care about that person who's on the fence because I don't want somebody to make the wrong decision. You know, it's either like mm-hmm. say no or say yes, right? But there's a lot of people on the fence. Any of these launches that we do, any of these campaigns we do, and that's the challenge with any kind of launches. You don't have the time to build up, you only have, like you have this short sequence, it's like two or three weeks. And hopefully that's enough time where people are like, yeah, I, I trust this. And I believe the process, I think that's a big challenge is that inertia is that person being on the fence. How do you get them over the fence? I'm curious if you have anything to add to that, like any thoughts on that? And, and, and that's why I like the use of the, one of the nice things when you understand the, the, the psychology of resistance and how this all works is, you know, the typical launch is a scarcity ploy. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to demean it in any way, but it's using a lot of a lot of push tax. Mm, so mm-hmm. I, I like to say that you know we're basically we're we're standing on. The, I think this is one of the little stories that I have in my book is like you're standing in a, at a, at the edge of a room, and there's all these bear traps and and dangerous items, and you're like, if you go to the other side of the room, I've got a million dollars for you. I've got five thousand dollars. Some you know I've got something beneficial for you at the end of the room. But you only have so much time to get it, so you got to hurry, and we got to go, and we got to push you, and we're going to push and push, 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 and push, and then oh, by the way, and if you do it, we'll also throw in these bonuses. You hear people in copywriting talk about stacking on the benefits, right? And so you always have to keep adding on all these things to sell, to sell, to sell, as opposed to if we just like move the barriers out of the way, they'll quickly walk. You know, we can we can join over there and say, look, it's right over there. This is the easiest way to get here, and look, there's also money at the end. Go take it. Mm. It's interesting. <laughs> but I'm not saying you don't use scarcity either. I'm just saying it helps reduce it reduces your cost of sale because you don't have to throw in all these extra bonuses to push them. It makes the customer happier at the end because just like now to go back to your Seth Godin reference, right? You say you you, you look at the offer in your two sentences and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'll buy it." You're a happier customer when you do buy it because he's delivered, he shows up every day you know he's going to be there afterwards and there's no doubt in your mind whether or not 
I want to say there's no doubt, but you know, you know, it's something for you because that's just what he does. He produces a certain type of thing and you know what it's going to be and it's consistent. And so if you're doing this on a regular basis, that's all there. That little bit of skepticism kind of goes out the window because you know, you're, you're there. <laughs> they know that you're yeah. going to be emailing pretty much on a regular basis. And if there's a problem with it, actually, let me, this is a great conversation. This is fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I love this. I mean, think about when you've made a purchase, a bad purchase, and or not. not let me say, um, you've made a purchase, and there's changes coming down the the line, and the company doesn't tell you about the changes. Let's think of a, like a plugin, a WordPress plugin, or something. Since most people are online people, they know about WordPress, right? Yep. An update comes, and now menu settings have all changed, and you're pissed because you can't find anything. If they would have sent an email to everybody saying, "Look, we got some changes coming out." The new settings are over here. The new settings are over there. This is going to do this. It reduces that pain point. So much. If, if I could hop onto that. So a recent podcast interview I did with Charlie Hone, and I'm, uh, so I'm just getting ready to actually spin up kind of like a, a video YouTube channel thing. So we'll see how that goes. So that's what I'm saying. A lot of, a lot of <laughs> things in the oven right now. And, and daily hey, you emails. can do video every day. It doesn't have to be email. Gosh, can you well, imagine? Put a, put a click in the email. That's well, we'll see if I get there. I mean, that's, that's ambitious, but maybe I just need to buy. So anyway, one of the things I was doing is we, one of the conversations we had was on the fire festival, this huge tobacco of like a, oh, a yeah. concert. And it was like, I, I remember thinking about it. I was like, so two things I'm prepping is like, obviously what, what, you know, the big failures are pretty obvious, right? And, and I think the biggest failure though, if you look at it, if you really think about it, like deep down, it's communication. Like people got to the island and then they found out it was not going to happen. Like that's the worst thing you could ever do to a human being, I think. But like, if you, <laughs> if you t- let them know ahead of time, I'm sure you'd have refunds and stuff like that, but you probably wouldn't have lawsuits like they're having, right? So it's like oh, a exactly. totally big difference. All they had to do was communicate and they didn't. So that's like a very glaring example of that, which I just thought was funny. kind of came to my mind. And it's like communication is so important for, for crowdfunding campaigns, especially like I ordered some things from a crowdfunding campaign that delivered, but it's been over a year, but they've been in contact at least like every other month or so enough where I'm just like, okay, I know it's coming. Like it might grate on my nerves a little bit, but I'm like, I can forgive that. Like I'm okay with that. And it's communication. So anyway, I just, I didn't mean to take that away from you, but I thought that was really important. No, that's the exact line that I'm going down. That's the exact same thing. Um, I mean, think about your after purchase, after somebody purchases, what's the email sequence that you're sending them through afterwards to onboard them or, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That has to be thought out. If you're, if you're running a monthly membership site type thing, what are you doing towards the 28 day point to incite them to stick around the next month so that we have a mm. longer stick period. Are you providing enough value to, to keep them around? And again, that's again communication, communication. You know, I hate to use that vague word, but, but that's really what it is. It's communication. How are you doing it? No, I love it. And I think at this point we got to call it now, but I want to have you back on either on the podcast or some other thing I do where we can have a, maybe a deeper conversation about this because we barely scratch the surface on a lot of these things. And, and well, that's <laughs> podcasting, right? I think it's very fascinating. And I love that you tackle the psychology of resistance because it's, that's what it comes down to. Like psychology is so important. So what I want to do though, before we wrap up, I want to give you the floor. I know we talked about you know having a special link, I think, for listeners of In the Trenches, but I want to give you the floor. Where can people reach out to you? Where, they, where can they sign up for your, your daily email? And check out how you're doing it right. Semi daily. Semi daily. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I, I try for I try for daily, but it doesn't happen every day. But I go as close as I can. Uh, frictionfreesales.com is the site. That's where I'm at. Uh, but I, like I said, I'll, I'll do the frictionfreesales.com forward slash trenches, and they can download the. Uh, I have the three chapters from the book, which outlines the three different types of resistance, to detail about how they operate and and what they do and 
how they stop stop your customer from buying, um, which you don't Perfect. want to have happening. And uh, yeah, I th- I'll throw that in for them and, and they can have that. And I've also got another thing I'll talk about. I'll put in there also, which is the, the three ways that you can grow your business. I love it. Well, that's perfect. And I'll make sure those are in the show notes. Just go to tommorcus.com slash podcast to check out Matt's episode. Matt, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Pleasure having you. Thanks, Tom. Have fun. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.